We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsuk and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? You know, life's in a bit of a tailspin this week, so I'm thinking of just I, I when this happens my brain goes in strange directions i'm i'm, I'm thinking about writing some stand up and trying that out i don't know i just i just throw in stuff out there it's just <laughs> i it's just whatever man just see what hits yeah <laughs> but for now i'm hosting this podcast good times uh we are we're going to have a shorter show this week well i should say our shorter week in tv this uh, no, week no we're not we're not having a shorter show this week <laughs> uh because it's, you know, they had February sweeps and that is over. And so now there's nothing on TV in general. The, most of the network shows are off. So it's going to be a lighter week in TV this week. But that's uh, going to be more than made up for by a uber long DVD shelf this week with Jeff, Jeff Barris from Television Zombies talking Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is going to be at the end of the show. That was a lot of fun. We talked 50 minutes, and we didn't talk about Worf. Yeah, there was, well, there was other stuff to talk about, man. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's going to be at the end of the show. I hope you guys get a kick out of that. Um, we also, we heard from a bunch of you guys this week, uh, heard from Mario about Archer and Dexter, the Bunheads, uh, Shonda Rhimes, uh, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino Dust thing. Up. Yeah, that yeah. was that was interesting. Americans and also <laughs> The Amazing Race. He's thinking he should change his pick. For that, because he has Dave and Connor, and they're they're doing great right now, but they can't possibly win because the the dad's gonna have to start doing challenges at some point, and uh, yeah, on crutches that's not gonna. Anyway, so we talked about that. That was pretty fun. Michael and Zach and I talked some Smash. Brian and Shannon and I talked some much to do about nothing, which of course just premiered at South by Southwest recently. So there's a lot of news about that but, recently. But you've already seen it because. You're elite that way, and somebody got you a ticket. Some some awesome you know podcast co host got me a ticket to it at at the Toronto Film Festival. Yeah, some some I don't even know who that could be, but whoever they are, they they're awesome because the movie is fantastic, and I can't wait to go see it again. It's gonna be so awesome. Um, anyways, sorry, I don't know if you can tell. I'm a little <laughs> excited about Much Ado About Nothing. It's Shakespeare and Joss Whedon and the cast of people I love all together. So beautiful thing. Um, and we also heard from Peter who gives a little. Uh, yeah, send us a little love about the Walking Dead podcast. There was a, a lot going on with the Walking Dead podcast at Sound Insight this week, um, and we'll talk about that on the Walking Dead podcast, which should actually already be on your podcast feed uh, by the time you're listening to this. So check that out if you want to hear more about the Walking Dead. Uh, we heard from Dan, who liked the Caprica DVD shelf from a couple weeks ago, so I'm glad you enjoyed that, Dan. And Brian, Ryu, and Keith, and I all talked a little it because. Uh, Another Capone horror picks is coming, and uh, I'm I'm afraid. <laughs> Clowns is all I have to say. <laughs> Clowns. Anyone who claims not to be scared of them is lying. Well, I, I, I am not afraid of clowns, and I did see It when I was younger, and I still do not have a fear of clowns. Maybe that will change. We'll see. 
Uh, you guys have to tune in for for that shelf when it when it comes up in a little bit here. But um, let's talk before uh, briefly about what's going on at Sound on Sight. I put up another article for favorite TV shows a month. I put up a, a list of ten great animated musical shorts. So we're talking Bugs Bunny, Tom and Jerry, and with one exception, they're all classical music choices. Because of course I'm a classical musician. I love that stuff. So I put that up. Dan just put up a piece on Homicide: Life in the Street. That's fantastic and is as well worth a while read there's a bunch of other stuff going on over there as well and i'm I'm still working on my pop music piece it's up to three thousand words i'm not even close to done oh goodness now the little bit i've read is fantastic so i'm really looking forward to this can we, can we have an estimated time of arrival for this piece uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks <laughs> i don't know it march. depends on how much time i let's march sometime March I, I, the more the more I say things in public, the more I'll get shamed into actually finishing it. There you go. I'm gonna have a couple more pieces that I do over the course of the month, but um, I'm I'm kind of just pondering that for now. We'll see what I come up with for next week. But we wanted to mention all of that. Of course, thank you everyone who uh, went over to Sound of Sight to read our reviews or is, has joined us on Facebook. We we also wanted to mention we are looking at changing up our format some somewhat um, of skipping more shows and not covering as much, uh, depending, you know, on how we're feeling in a given week, we would like feedback. If uh, we're also looking at changing up the order of the different segments. So, uh, that means, uh, Mario, Keith, Ken, uh, Shannon, all, all of our wonderful, uh, Amanda, Beth, all of you wonderful listeners that we get to talk to every now and again, we would like to know what you think. So dro- drop us a line, the televerse at gmail.com or on, or on Facebook, probably Twitter, 140 characters is a little limiting, but please let us know what you think about that, and uh, so we can take that into consideration as we, you know, look at tweaking things moving forward. So let us know. But let's get into our week in TV. Uh, we don't really need to skip shows this week because there are so few of them. We're going to start on Tuesday with Justified and the Hatchet Tour. So we have the Fallout this week. Oh, oh, that was a silent. That was a silent Justified. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, they can't see me. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I mean, every see, even though even, every season of Justified is quite different, they all work the same way in the sense that it kind of oscillates between episodes where a lot actually happens and episodes where, entertaining as it may be, they're just kind of moving the pieces around in anticipation of stuff actually happening. And this had this was one of those episodes basically. Uh, but as far as those episodes go, it was a good one. And it featured Patton Oswalt shooting a very big gun. Oh, so it was it so lovely. The, the 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 callback to the gun the go bag. Oh, it was was great. The payoff yes. there. <laughs> were you thinking for for a sec for like a split second that maybe that they were pulling some sort of some sort of like fakery and he was actually going to turn out to be Drew Thompson because that no. would have been kind of kind of hilarious. No, he's not old enough. No, he wasn't gonna. He wasn't gonna be Drew Thompson. I thought they were gonna have him get killed though. I'm not going to lie. I thought uh, Holland Manners there, uh, Sam Anderson, was going to shoot him or something. So I was glad oh, that, that he made it really out. that would have been really upsetting. I know. Uh, I actually really enjoyed this episode. I, yes, in terms of significant episodes, last week uh, Arlo died. That's a bit more significant than anything we get this week. But we did get the reveal of Drew Thompson. We got a lot of uh, stitching together of various plot threads. You can really see how it's all going to piece together in the end here. I very much enjoyed what we got with, say, Ellen May and Colt. And boy, the payoff of that, it's been a long time coming. I'm glad to see that um, that element to his uh, trying to shenanigan his way out of stuff. 
uh, get get taken care of or at least addressed. I like that they brought back the uh, the preacher's sister. Yeah, I like how how things seem to be shaping up for the finale. Uh, the the Drew Thompson reveal apparently the entire internet guessed. I guessed so therefore i i don't tend to be that ahead of the curve on unjustified so i'm sure i wasn't alone but i thought that even knowing what we you know most many of us figured out i did think actually it paid off well and it worked did it work for you well it gives jim beaver a lot to do which is great and you know he's he's fabulous and i i think more i mean i don't really know if it works or not yet because so much of that is going to depend on next week and the rest of the season really that we haven't gotten enough we, we i mean in, by the end of the episode everyone's figured it figured it out and that's which is where we are but i do like that you know everyone's figured it out and they're not spending the entire season trying to make us think it's something else like they yeah. the reveals out of the way there's still four episodes left so anything can still happen uh, and I think that's that's what's most encouraging is the fact that there's still so much story time left. Well, and I thought it was great the way that they had both Raylan and then Boyd piece it together so quickly once they had that bit that one bit of information that they could theoretically connect everything together with. They did so because Raylan doesn't know he's on the TV show and there are only so many characters it could be. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> you know, once he gets that little bit of information from from Constable Bob, he's able to figure it all out. And and then the same thing with Ray with, with Boyd. So I actually thought that worked really well. Um, do you continue to be concerned for Ava? Uh, yes, yes, I do. I'm still. I I, I I'm sure. It maybe not this season, but I feel like she. There's no way she survives Justified. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm a pessimist, but you know that's nothing against Joel Carter. But that's just that's just the way I see things going. Well, especially but, uh, with uh, the following getting renewed this uh, this past week, we know Winona's not going to be back in any meaningful way. So. Well, what does that what does that have to do with it? A conversation last week about how they have no female characters. Oh yes, right. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. That's 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 tricky. But um, we we can't wrap up this this review without uh, especially mentioning Jerry Burns and yeah. his uh, his his spectacular acting in general, but specifically in his scene with uh, with Hunter and Raylan this week. I thought he was just so good. Yeah, that was uh, that was great. Watching um, again, Timothy Oliphant was still fantastic this week. Dealing with watching Raylan deal with. Uh, with Arlo's death, but yeah, that scene with Jerry Burns has got to—he's got to be one of their best supporting players, just most reliable. Just stick him in a scene and watch him be surprised. You know, it's going to be great. Yeah, ba based on his position in the show, he's sort of one of the most expendable characters, and yet I can't ever see them getting rid of him. Yeah, not that—that's like an end move kind of situation. Who's more? Who's going to live longer, Ellen May or uh, or Win Duffy? I don't. I don't think Ellen May's going anywhere. Yeah. So she, you think Ellen May's going to outlive him? Uh, yeah. I think there's a decent chance. Yeah. We'll see what happens with uh, everybody moving forward. Uh, God, that's. I didn't think it was all going to come together as well. I felt a little dis, you know, disjointed. I was enjoying the ride, but I didn't anticipate everything from the preacher's sister to Drew Thompson all coming into as much as to into one hole as they have shown us so far. So I'm very excited to see what happens in the next few weeks. It's, Excelsior. It's Excelsior, exactly. Let's move on to the next FX show we have. We're going to skip over South End this week. We liked it. We thought it was really good, but we don't have anything new to say. There wasn't any new character beats. So let's continue to the Americans, and that's Trust Me. 
And this, we if we had more time for our week in TV this week, I think we would have spotlit this. But what do you want to say about the Americans other than it continues to be awesome? What, what was the last first season that was this good? I don't even Homeland. Yeah, but even even Homeland, man. Like by the end of that season, there was there were some seams starting to show. Yeah, we'll and... see if the Americans can keep this momentum going. Yeah, but this is yeah, it, it's certainly significant that we haven't had many eye roll moments mm-hmm. in this many this many hours of story time. Uh, so much was good in this episode. I mean, the, the I mean, I really should have figured out immediately that that the KGB was responsible for the kidnapping, but I was too busy just being really really stressed out that I didn't <laughs> even think about it logically. Yeah, I, I I was pretty sure that's had what had to be happening. However, that didn't really remove knowing that or having, you know, being pretty sure of that myself in the early scenes did not take away the stress of those scenes. And I certainly if if I saw the KGB's involvement coming, I certainly did not see Elizabeth kicking and then drowning the crap out of Granny <laughs> coming. Don't piss off Felicity, even if you're mags. Yeah, damn. That was that was a serious sunning. Um I mean, I know other people had a real problem with the um with the after school special the kids were over on in their corner of the episode it didn't really bother me i i, I thought the sequence i mean the sequence was predictable but well executed and I, I i guess it's just nice to see kids in a i can't remember the last time i saw a show like this and the and and the young siblings actually got along or mm-hmm. like had anything to do with each other's lives i mean think about the kids on homeland for instance so I guess that's just a nice change of pace. You don't know. Maybe their young son's going to go do karate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have an issue with, with that corner of the episode, although it clearly wasn't as compelling. Actually, I, I liked it a lot. I was glad that they did give the kids their own storyline this week. It's, first of all, for something that you mentioned when we were talking about this right after it aired, which is good to see Elizabeth and Phillips parenting get affected by the fact that they are currently being tortured and uh, doing their spy thing. So it's good to see the kids get impacted by that, but also because it's nice to see certain elements of the parents in the kids. That's going to, that's a big question with the show. Of course, as you have the, the conflict between Russia and America and their identities as fake Americans and actual Russians, there's a big contrast there and conflict there, but there's also between the generations, that same kind of conflict. And so to see, to, to put the kids in this sort of stressful situation and see what happens, I think is very, is very interesting. And, um, it really, it really shows us, you know, just how much of their parents they have in them. So we might have thought, for example, that Paige might have slightly better, uh, stranger danger awareness. Uh, but no, she did not seem to get that from her parents, but she did <laughs> know when to run, you know? So the, different things like that, I think are interesting. Yeah, and can I just mention, like, as much as people may, might have trouble with that storyline, can I just point something out? The kids are good actors. Be yeah. thankful that the kids are good actors. That is definitely not always the case. It could be a lot worse, and I actually am very interested in that dynamic. So I look forward to more. And as some others have pointed out, now not only do the parents have secrets from the kids, the kids have secrets from the parents. We'll see what happens with that moving forward. Yep. Any further thoughts on the Americans, or shall we move on to the comedies? 
No, it's really good, and if you're not watching it, you're silly. <laughs> We're going to pair up all the comedies here on Thursday. Of course, on Tuesday, there's Cougar Town, another st- solid episode, a lot of fun. But once again, I don't have anything new to say, so we'll just move on to community, cooperative escapism, and familial relations. Um, this episode was better than I expected. We got uh, Thanksgiving, and everybody came together at Shirley's, which then at some point sort of awkwardly transitioned into a great escape or a POW movie kind of homage with, with Abed. I, I really didn't think that was particularly well handled. Um, the transition that is, but the eventual payoff of that, I did think worked well. I liked the, the heart of it. And then the way that they continue to have a, uh, to develop Jeff's relationship with his dad, I thought worked really well. And having James Brolin come in as his dad, I thought actually worked really well. It was good casting and uh, it was nice to see, the contrast between Jeff and his half-brother. And then to see Britta just continue to both be terrible but also helpful was, was good. So I, it, was about, it was about like a 50-50. Not as good as some of the other episodes this season, but certainly nowhere near approaching the worst. Um, we also had on, on Thursday Archer, Coyote, Lovely. This is the episode they showed back at Comic-Con. And I, I remembered liking it then. I was concerned that perhaps I, I was... a a bit over praising it at the time due to the comic con of it all and watching it with like a thousand other people who are all very excited to be there. But I think it, I think it lived up to it. This was a good episode. This is actually one of my favorites this season. And I, I, th- I think you, you undersold it when we were talking about it in advance. I, I thought there were so many great running gags. I, I thought that the, the, the construction of the episode was, was just so tight, especially with, I mean, how many episodes of Archer, end with the reveal that that Mallory's responsible for everything <laughs> I'd, I'd think probably five or six but it, it never really stops working for me as a plot device and yeah I, I i feel like they handle the the flashback structure really well of how did you both get black eyes and the, <laughs> every reveal was hilarious and uh yeah everything with the spanish also for some reason spanish gags get to me yeah and that's obviously i don't I don't speak Spanish, but, and so when I was watching it at Comic-Con, I had no basis for that. You could, you could pick up most of it anyways, just by context clues. But then this time watching it, I watched it with my sister, who you know, is a dual language, Spanish dual language teacher. So obviously she could just translate everything for me. And so I thought it worked either way, whether you knew Spanish or you didn't, it was still really funny. And uh, we should mention the. I feel like this has to be the ultimate payoff to the, uh, to the, the answering machine gag. Yes. Yes, that... That was amazing. Also, uh, we should we should also mention that Dayton Callie and Nick Searcy mm-hmm. showing up in this episode, both amazing, and just the idea of having them on the same show at the same time was so 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 great. A lot of fun. Um, and we'll see. Yeah, hopefully, I think we're kind of holding out hope for the last couple episodes to really knock our socks off. But uh, this is definitely, I would agree with you, one of the better ones this season. And hopefully, they'll continue in this fashion moving forward. Absolutely. And our last comedy we're going to talk about as an actual comedy is Bob's Burgers and Topsy. Of course, last week we loved OT, the OT, the outside toilet, which was a, very much a Gene episode. This was a Louise episode. Um, and I, I thought it was a lot of fun, but I got to kick things off with um, Spice Rack was, is clearly better than Spice Oat. Oh, yeah. There's no question. There's I actually no thought. No question. I, I actually thought maybe the, like, the Spice Rack is so good that I could see that, like, it's the it's the forbid of of, yeah. of Bob's Burgers in terms of TV inventions that I could see being a real thing. Yeah, um, I I was waiting for Louise's project to end up actually just being all about how 
Tesla is just so much cooler uh, than uh, than than Edison. But I still maybe that's just the, my inner geek coming out. And of course, Pi Day is this week. I hope everybody is celebrating. I know I will be. Um, so I always enjoy a nice science uh, science joke and 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 uh, technology and and you know cr- creativity and math and science, all that good sort of entertainment and comedy. Was that just me? Did or did the Edison jokes work for you too? Uh, the the Edison slash science or pseudoscience jokes. I mean, usually it's pseudoscience that people are joking about. But yeah, it, it was a fine episode. Uh, I, I did feel like the central musical motif wasn't like the, the actual song wasn't as good as most of the ones we've gotten on the show, despite the incredibly elaborate arrangement. Oh, I thought that was great. I, I love that they brought in the Glee Club. Basically, it felt like a Bob's parody of Glee uh, and... And all these different shows where people just burst into song or smash would be another good example. That, that, that hadn't even occurred to me, but that's a good point. Also, was that, I know that was Kevin Klein, but was that Megan Mullally? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought so. <laughs> oh, that it, it, they've got such a low key, but amazing sort of roster of guests on that show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, I guess sounds like I like this one a little bit more than you did. Do you want to see the, the librarian come back? <laughs> I, I did enjoy the librarian. I, I, I loved Teddy's uh, sort of, the, the the way he came up with an alter ego for himself and then seemed to be completely subsumed by it by the end of the episode <laughs> was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, God, I love Teddy. Good times. Well, let us know what you think uh, in the whole Spice Ups and Spice Rack debate. Uh, but let's, in the meanwhile, we'll move on to Friday. We ha- Friday brought the Grimm's mid-season premiere of The Face-Off, which I already talked a bit, little bit about last week. Um, as I said there, I thought it was actually really good, very effectively paid off everything that uh, we had been left with in the the mid the mid-season finale back in the fall and i'm looking forward to what's coming up next i i I actually kind of hope they keep this cliffhanger structure going um but yeah it was lots of nice character beats and uh some good action and enough the the stuff with juliet and um the captain was disturbing enough that i actually thought it worked especially for a relatively safe feeling nbc show i thought they you know it actually did feel somewhat messed up and that was good that's what it should have been um, we'll see what happens with Adeline moving forward. I, I think that's a character best left in small doses, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see how they ha- handle that moving forward. Let's go to Spartacus, though. War of the Damned. Spoils of War. Oh, Spartacus. Why aren't more people watching you? There's, Seriously, what? right? Okay, there's, what, four episodes left? And yeah. I, I guess what concerns me is that if you, if you, if you are a student of history, a.k.a. someone who can read a Wikipedia <laughs> entry... <laughs> Uh, you will know that from here on out, it's pretty much no good news for anyone uh, involved in Spartacus's side of things, or for that matter, most people in general. Uh, so I'm really curious as to how they can have these last episodes be anything but just misery, which it seems like is the only option. But, you know, I in, in Stephen S. Denight, I trust, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a big potential for a lot of gory spectacle, but a big downer of an ending. And so, I don't know. I, I guess I just trust that it's going to be awesome enough that it will feel fitting for the characters. These are characters where you don't, I mean, they don't expect to live particularly long lives. And all they really ask for, especially the, the gladiators, is a glorious death in battle, right? Yeah, they're going to get that because they're not going to allow themselves to go out in any other way. So, you know, I don't know. I I think there's I think there's still going to be plenty of fun left. And I'm sure that they will come up with stuff 
you know, to make it feel as less of just a depressing ending and more of one that's more in fitting with the tone of the show. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of depressing, I absolutely loved the duel sequence with Caesar. And I like the way that they handle our expectations with that. Like, yes, we know that he can't die. And it's pretty clear at this point that they're not going to do any uh, any Tarantino shenanigans with that because it's it's really too late for that. But I, I like the way that with the stinger of that sequence, they find sort of a third way to get you with something you're not necessarily expecting, like yeah. someone pushing a sword through his own neck. <laughs> ah! <laughs> this was, it was actually pretty funny because I had planned to go see Django Unchained again, which is a movie I loved from last year. Um, and for a third time, actually, before it gets out of the theaters and something came up, so I couldn't. And so instead I watched Spartacus and it f- figured it'd be a good, you know, pairing as far as violence goes. But, uh, I actually had to like turn away from the screen more in this episode of Spartacus than I do in the entire movie of Janko. Cause, oh man, the guy getting torn, pulled, drawn and quartered, I guess oh, drawn, yeah. not quartered. Cause they didn't actually quarter him, but still <laughs> oh. a fine distinction. Yeah. That was, that was rough. Oh, God, there's some, yeah, yeah, just... I like how this season they've come up with new ways to be horrible to people. <laughs> like, yeah. for instance, the, 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 I don't know what it is with the bones this, yeah. <laughs> this season, but the bones. <laughs> oh, God. But that shouldn't, uh, the, the, the gory spectacle of it shouldn't detract from the character and the, the, the dialogue that we, I know we love so much here in the televerse. Um, and I don't know, I just, this is, it's just so infectiously awesome. I'd give me a better descriptor than awesome. <laughs> no, no, no. Awesome works. I, I would say th- one thing I, I have a slight reservation about is I don't know how much I care about Gannicus's like alternate love interest whose name isn't. Mm-hmm. Getting to me right now, since I'm pretty sure they only have a few episodes to live anyway. <laughs> so I'm really, I, 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 I feel like they could have stepped on the gas with that a bit. What I actually think is interesting with that is I was watching this and I was expecting him to, those two to get together to some extent in this episode. And I was actually really proud of Gannicus that he didn't hit that. Because... <laughs> Look, you know, following his arc, because, of course, he was a big part of the prequel series, which I know that you haven't seen yet. Uh, but but following sort of his arc over the show, I was like, good for you, not cheating on your woman. Yeah, I don't know if they have a concept of cheating uh, so much. Oh, well, I guess they do. No, they, she, they do. She would no, fuck her up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean... There aren't too many examples in the history of Spartacus of of people having restraint in this area. <laughs> so, I guess props. <laughs> but yeah, that was something I was actively thinking like when as we approached the end of the episode cuz it felt felt so much like that's what they were leading us towards. So, yeah, and I also love that for him there's a level of oh god, you again uh to to that, <laughs> which does make yeah. sense cuz she's fairly useless. She proves herself not completely useless this week, but um are you looking forward to the I don't even remember her name, Leda maybe, the wife of the guy that they killed with grain uh oh, being, yes. being the, in the, the wife camp? of the of, yeah. Uh yeah, actually I I think that her arc this season has been fantastic and I I I think the actress is good. I don't have a cast list handy for Spartacus, but um I I've been really pleased with what they've done with that character. Now, do you buy her going in, in going in with with um? I guess because she's injured, I believe her going to Spartacus's camp because she needs medical attention. 
I guess if she hadn't been injured, and I would have been, I would have not bought it if she had. I would because I don't see her wanting to team up even with what's happened to her with Spartacus and what's gone down. I I see her just going off somewhere else. You know, I don't. I didn't really buy her surviving with that injury to be honest, because that looked yeah. like a really bad stab in the gut, but yeah. with a with a spear. <laughs> but anyway, um, especially since it seems like they went a really long distance. But regardless, um, actually, my my only issue with that plot line was was the the scene with Crassus where he essentially gives her away to the Solutions. Because I, I felt like that was too overtly villainous a moment for Crassus. I, I I've kind of enjoyed his status as being somewhat admirable in a strange way and i kind of feel like that did too much to undermine that well and i just don't necessarily buy him selling a roman because of he because he has that roman pride you know and and sees such a distinction though of course he identifies far more with spartacus than any of the others who have gone up against him i still don't necessarily buy him as having it's that little of a disconnect internally between slaves and romans well he did almost sacrifice his son let's not forget that's true uh i was kept waiting for him to somehow do something and get killed by caesar this week didn't happen (laughs) next week Uh, hopefully yeah i i I did like caesar's response to him though that was yeah that was a good sequence anyway spartacus Spartacus. you should be watching it it's awesome (laughs) moving on to sunday we had the amazing race and i love monkeys and i was second to last place in the pool but I'm okay with that because you're last place. We're both doing terrible. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I feel good about a few things. My team, Pam and Winnie, is doing really well. Yeah, they're my team now, too. Ugh. Yeah, I know. I did want to pick them just because of that, but I really I don't yes. like anybody else who seems competent. Yeah, fair enough. But, yeah, I mean, this episode is all about Phil at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this the, he, he just I like that he can't restrain himself from just commenting on their sheer stupidity <laughs> the disbelief in his face that's something that because uh, of course I, I watched with my parents they're the ones who got me into amazing race um so uh, we actually rewound and watched that ending a couple times because <laughs> it was just <laughs> it was so hilarious and that that really shows you the the influence a good host an entertaining host can have on a show so much like you get some commentary i've been told um on Survivor from Jeff Probst every now and again when something doesn't seem right he will say something to the contestants I I love that you do get that just that little bit of commentary from from him uh, in his interactions with the the team now I had picked the surfers before because they (laughs) seemed competent and then this can you can you imagine ever being in a situation in on something like the amazing race where you know you are either in last or second to last place and you could just skip ahead and you don't do it. Yeah, that's a that's like a really dumb version of pride operating yeah. right there. Uh I, I yeah, I I I'm loath to call real people dumb as opposed to characters, but I'm sorry, that was that was really dumb. Yeah, I know, I I can't imagine any situation where that's I mean, there's all sorts of reasons that I wouldn't be able to do the amazing race. I can't drive, I'm not especially fit, I'm not very smart, I don't travel well, but that's one mistake I wouldn't make. I'm fairly confident. <laughs> yeah, it's Yeah, there's there's an appropriate level of incredulity with both Phil and then I'm sure with almost every 
review that you or recap for example dan does our recaps at sound on site uh of this episode you're gonna find anything else about this episode we should mention we want to talk about the challenges at all or i like the monkeys i'm just still fixated the monkeys were good i'm just still fixated on phil having to spend the entire day just saying no it's not that bored it's not that bored <laughs> seemingly for I don't hours know, eight days <laughs> and, and just finally getting to the end like really just we're doing the uh is how boring must that have been i mean i guess he's in a he's in like he, you know he's he still gets to travel and have like the best job ever but that that was probably not his best day on the best job ever and i imagine that kind of influenced his his reaction at the very end where he's like i've been standing here for over an hour waiting for you guys to get the right surfboard and you could have just <sighs> Anyways. And, and I also loved, uh, can we look at those? No. <laughs> no, you can't look at those. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways. I mean, and, and the best part is, he, I'm sure he wanted them to. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> just, get it, just to get it. Of course, of course, they started out with there being, what, 10 or 9 or whatever of that kind of surfboard. So when you get down to the last person, there's only one surfboard like that. So it would be harder to, to see. It would be easier to miss. I understand that. That being said, oh, man. Anyways, anyway, we'll see what, you know, we'll see. Hopefully Pam and Winnie pan out. I actually like them. The other teams I like don't seem like they're particularly competent. Um, so I was having trouble deciding who to pick. Um, I guess go go team crutches for yeah. now. Yeah, I guess crutches slash wheelchair, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on, though, to our next show on Sunday, which is Girls on All Fours. And I feel like this is a perfect example, this episode, of why we don't pair in girls with the other comedies. Because yeah. I laughed, but I also really didn't this week. I don't know. I mean, actually, I do know. But can I just say, this is not the way I expected Shiri Appleby's career to go. Uh, <laughs> having a close encounter with Pina Colada mix like that. But, uh, yeah, so that was a thing that happened on this show. Uh, I, I'm still, I still don't find the Marnie plot interesting. I mean, I, admittedly, the the party sequence was impossible to watch in the most deliberate way. Yeah. Uh, holy oh, crap. Holy it was not crap. enjoyable. Whoa. Yeah, that was that was even that was somehow even harder to watch than Adam's happy ending. But I guess it was longer. But <laughs> Well, and there yeah. was also the the Q tip scene was also really hard to watch. And then at the end, I wish they, they had cut away sooner. Oh, at the end. Just... <laughs> yeah, that's we all that's know like what a... she was gonna do. Yeah. I uh, I mean I'm I'm impressed with how horrible they're making that plot line. And I mean, kudos to Lena Dunham and company because they're just following through with that. I do think it's a little odd that they introduced it so late in the season because mm -hmm. uh, it kind of feels like something that should like it's it's such a weighty development for that character. I should say redevelopment that it kind of seems like they could have used more story time to handle it. But I, I have no complaints with the way that it's going. I, I, I do think that the what happened with Adam and... Natalia, I, I didn't anticipate the way that happened, but I think I actually said last week that that's what was going to happen. That he, he was going to mess it up. Yeah, he was going to mess it up, and more specifically that it was going to be inspired by, uh, by Hannah. So I'm a little bit disappointed that that went the way I was expecting, and that they didn't give them a little bit more time to be happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, I can't decide if I if I want them to still be together. Next week, I like that they left it without an answer for us this week because that felt very truthful in the moment. 
but uh, other other yeah, I'm not I'm not sure exactly how how I feel about about that because I I do like the two of them together. I like the Adam we get when he's actually in a functional relationship um, and sober and sober. Yeah, um, I don't know, but definitely the most painful thing was the Marnie stuff. That was it was really it was really hard to watch, and I just I don't want to go on that merry-go-round again. I really come on, Charlie. But uh, I guess yeah, that's how you're that supposed too. to feel. I actually forgot that happened because uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I yeah, the, the Marty stuff is definitely the weak point for me. We didn't get a whole lot with with Shoshana, but I kind of feel like I also don't want. Oh, everybody's so not happy right now with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Well, we next week is the finale. Is it? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, they really needed some more story time with a few of those things, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I do find the pacing of the season rather odd, but I don't know. At this rate, maybe there'll be a mass murder next week because people are just not doing good things on this show. Yeah, we'll see where they're going to leave it for us with in the season. The, the finale, season one finale, I thought was really great. So we'll see if they, you know, Lena Dunham what she what she pulls out for this finale. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was I was watching it going. I know this is well executed and. And has a definite point of view and is is good and all of that. It's just not fun to watch. Can I have Bob's back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pr- probably the darkest episode of Girls ever. I think yeah. we can say. Yeah. Woo. Woo. And on that fun note, let's move to the Good Wife and Running with the Devil. Of course, our Walking Dead podcast, like I said earlier, should already be on the feed talking about Air on the Doorpost. We weren't big fans of that episode after last week's episode, which we really loved. Uh, this one. We weren't as hot on, but uh, let's move on to the good wife running with the devil and more fabulous casting. Wally Shawn. Oh, I love that guy so much uh, showing up here in a, a bit, a, a role that's a bit against type. Uh, yeah. I mean, we don't get to see him necessarily at his most against type as is implied throughout the episode where he's literally intimidating people, which is not a position you'd think to place Wallace Shawn in. But uh, he he was a good addition. I admit I was uh, sort of picturing Maurice Levy from The Wire as Lamont Bishop's lawyer, which would have been awesome. But, you know, it's not The Wire, and I have to accept that it's not The Wire, even though we bays around. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely a good episode. That being said, there's still corners of the show I don't really care about. Am I the only one who doesn't really care about the fate of the law firm that we're following on the show, which means that we know that they're not ever going to be in trouble, which now they're at least not pretending they are? Um, I think that they actually did a good job with their bankruptcy storyline. I thought that worked well and was interesting. It was, especially in this economy, it was great to actually see a show deal with that uh, when most shows don't seem to have addressed it at all over the past couple of years. And uh, so, so actually, I like that. I liked the differing responses we got this week from Will and Diane. And uh, yeah, I, so I guess I'm more interested in that than you are. Um, as for the parts of the show that I don't care as much about, I liked that we did get finally just a straightforward thing with Carrie and Kalinda. Um, where, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, right, that they that they had sex but um what yeah i know it's yeah. straightforward but at least it's like addressed and dealt with and you know we uh, you know comparatively out there and not it seems like the show's not going to sort of play around with that as much anymore or have Carrie pining which was getting really old so i'm glad that that's moved forward i was happy for a week off from eli as much as i love elsbeth and uh, i think so i thought that was nice and uh, and peter too 
It looks like we're getting more of that next week. But um, most of the stuff that we got this week, I actually thought was really interesting. I like that they brought back to the conflict of Alicia and, you know, what she, her role as a defense attorney for these bad people is doing to her. Yeah, that went to some uh, impressively dark places, uh, especially in those final moments. And I, uh, the, whenever they I don't feel like there's ever been a bad Lamont Bishop episode. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily always the best, but uh, it tends to bring out some of, some of the show's more interesting qualities. At least I think so. Well, and I love that um, that Alicia has somewhat of a connection with him. That they've they've established that before. We know he is a a bad guy, and we know that he's kill kills people and is a drug dealer and is a horrible person. Um, but I I love that Alicia can choose to find a level on which she can connect with him and understand him and represent him. It's similar to the situation with Sweeney, only he feels like, Lamont Bishop feels like a more real character. Sweeney, as much as we love Dylan Baker, at least to me, doesn't feel, it feels far uh, more heightened. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, and and I like the way that the show plays with, you know, because he's a family man, he is in some way sympathetic, even although if you start to look objectively at what he's actually doing, that is not the case at all. And I, I feel like the show has fun sort of toying with our expectations there. Yeah. I hope we get Audrey McDonald back. I thought that was interesting. Um, I think she could fit really well with the show. And uh, I, I, I enjoy her. So I hope she's back. It's nice to see Tracy Toms again. How about our new investigator? Uh, Jess Weixler, who I, who I really liked in a rather mediocre movie called Teeth. Uh, I haven't seen her in anything since then, and it's been like five years. So I guess she's going to be a regular for a while or possibly forever. It's it's really hard to say with The Good Wife. Or maybe she'll be gone next week. Who knows? But uh, she's great, and I think she's going to be an interesting addition, even though I think that the character who is quirky but actually turns out to be secretly brilliant is a well that the show's gone to maybe a little bit too often. Yeah. I enjoyed the return of BB Newworth's judge, but I, I got to say, I was watching it going, you know, it's been a while since we had Dennis O'Hare with his yes. uh, blood donation patch. I could, I could use a little, a uh, little bit of him again. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a guest star you'd like to see back? Um, uh, Dennis O'Hare is a good call. And I, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy with their ever expanding roster of everyone ever being in it. <laughs> I, I don't have, to, I don't, I, I try not to demand too much because I know that it will give in time. Next week, it looks like Matthew Perry's back. So that should be a lot of fun. And uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. Like I said last week, it's nice to have at least one network show that is actually continuing yeah. for a while. So, oh, and uh, sorry. So one guest I'd like to have back, Fred Melamed. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. Why not? Why not? So that wraps up our week in TV. A few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can, of course, find a post up at soundonsite.org, which will have uh, this episode, and you can leave us comments there and your feedback. What's our question of the week going to be? I got nothing, man. I got nothing. How about um, first seasons? In tying in with the Americans, which we're loving right now, let us know what your favorite first seasons are. What what are their shows? And where you would rank the Americans? With either recent history or all time. That that works, right? Definitely. That's yeah. a thing that ties into a thing we said earlier. <laughs> so let us know what you think. Uh, of course, we have, uh, you can reach us via email, theteleverse at gmail.com, or on Twitter, I'm at the Televerse, you are. At Sucker Howl. 
And of course, you can also find us at iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would love to get some ratings or reviews in iTunes. Uh, please help other people find the show. And as as ever, of course, we have a as we are in Facebook. And of course, we are on Facebook, so you can like us on Facebook and follow what's going on with Sonosite TV there, as well as the podcast and uh, other TV talk. Definitely. So now we're going to take a little break, listen to some music and a clip, and come back with Jeff Barris of Television Zombies to talk Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Do you know what the trouble is? No. The trouble is Earth. Really? On Earth, there is no poverty, no crime, no war. You look out the window of Starfleet headquarters and you see paradise. Well, it's easy to be a saint in paradise. But the Marquis do not live in paradise. Out there, in the demilitarized zone, all the problems haven't been solved yet. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Angry, scared, determined people who are going to do whatever it takes to survive. Whether it meets with the Federation approval or not. Makes sense to me. I'm glad someone understands. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are dipping back into the world of Trek for the second time to talk about Deep Space Nine, which is, of course, in its 20th anniversary year right now. So it's excellent timing. And here to help us talk about the series is from Television Zombies, Jeff Barris. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So what made you want to talk about uh, DS9? Well, DS9 is not only the greatest Star Trek series, it is my favorite television show of all time. So I felt like uh, if I were to talk about anything with you guys, this would be the show. Well, that that's exactly what the DVD shelf is supposed to be. So I'm glad it were, you know, sometimes you know, we get, people get to second, third choices. It's wonderful to talk to somebody who gets to really dive in. So what makes you really love the series? Well, I grew up a Star Trek fan. My dad was a Star Trek fan uh, going back to the 60s when he watched it, when it originally aired. So I grew up watching reruns of the original series, and then when uh, Star Trek The Next Generation came on, uh, we uh, we obviously watched that as well. But the thing that always bothered me about Star Trek was while the world was really great and really well-constructed, um, my problem with the show was sort of the episodic nature of the series. I felt like as, you know, a kid, like in, I was like maybe like 11 or 12 when The Next Generation was, when TNG was on, it always bothered me like every week they would forget what happened the week before. And there were not, there weren't really any serious conflicts between the main cast members. And it was sort of all adhering to Roddenberry's vision of how everyone is going to be perfect in the future. 
And then after Roddenberry died, um, they decided to do a spinoff, Deep Space Nine, which uh, it premiered my freshman year of college. And I remember seeing the pilot and thinking, this is exactly what I wanted Star Trek to be like when, you know, TNG started. Because you have a, you have regular people, not like superheroes, which are basically what the TNG cast are when you really get down to it. Um, you have regular people who have real problems trying to work together in space. And I just, you know, Ben Sisko as a character is so much better. I, I hate to say, I mean, I, I just hate to say it, <laughs> but he's such a, he's, he's a more interesting character than the previous captains and also the captains who followed him because it starts out, it kicks off right with the Borg attack and he and his family are aboard the ship, the Saratoga, and it's destroyed by the Borg and his wife dies. He's really not sure of himself. He's not sure he wants to stay in Starfleet. He has this young son that he has to take care of, Jake. And he's basically given probably like the worst and least glamorous assignment in all of <laughs> of Starfleet, which is to be the commander of this station that was previously a Cardassian station uh, near Bajor. Bajor, of course, was a planet introduced in TNG. The Jorans were basically occupied by the Cardassians for decades. Now they're free, and he has to help reconstruct Bajor. And it's, it's not like Captain Picard going around and saving the universe. He's really... It's really not that much of a plum assignment. You know, almost immediately this wormhole is discovered that's full of wormhole aliens. And Cisco has to deal with that. And he has to deal, of course, with his grief. And it all becomes tied together. And at the end of the episode, you know, Cisco decides to stay aboard. And, and the wormhole makes it so that the station, Deep Space Nine, is probably one of the most important pieces of real estate in the Federation or not the Federation, well, in the because it's technically not in the Federation. So, anyway, it's that going back to it, like the grief that this character felt really resonated with me, and the fact that he was trying to, you know, trying to become a better person and trying to deal with issues, and then that sort of spread out through the cast as the show went on. The first season was kind of a lot like the other Star Trek shows in that they were. Um, the episodes were mostly episodic one-offs, but with the start of the second season, the show began to become more serialized, and as it progressed, it became really the first major serialized genre show on television. I mean, Babylon 5 came around at the same time, but I, I really, and I know a lot of Babylon 5 fans will not agree with me, but Babylon 5 just is not up to the same level of writing and acting as Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm uh, not gonna. I'm not gonna stake a position there. I'm a big fan of both DS9 and Babylon 5, and I think they both have. Though on paper they look like they should be very similar because of their s similar basic premises, I, I would actually. Uh, I, I would say there are different strengths and weaknesses with the two series, and I love them both. But uh, but yeah, it definitely DS9 was one of the very first series to to ex to play with this kind of series long arc idea this which is of course a big component of Babylon 5 as well and to continue you see that in, in DS9 with Cisco you see that with uh starting in season 3 when they start really introducing the Dominion war what's going to become the Dominion war with the Jem'Hadar and some of the other things in in that season but yeah it it's it's 
and you know when you're describing Jeff the 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 basic premise of what you know what the pilot sets up, it's a really messy show for the characters. Like the the characters are they start out really all coming in, in from very messy situations, and in that way, it's it's very untrack. Uh, I would have to disagree uh that that Cisco is the the best and most interesting captain I'm a Picard girl myself but I will act, actually absolutely agree that I do think DS9 is the most consistent of this uh Star Trek series and is as taken as a whole the the best uh Trek series I would say TNG has higher highs but as far as consistency goes, I mean, like you talk about those first couple of seasons, those first couple of seasons of TNG are nigh unwatchable. And I watched a bunch of DS9's first few seasons before they really kicked into that that series long arc. And I think they, they hold up really well. And, you know, if you're going to pick one one Star Trek series, I think the winner has got to be DS9. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. I know we disagree on some things, but uh, but. <laughs> I, I do, I do agree. DS Nine is, I think, the strongest of the Trek series. Now, uh, Simon, I've, I've, pl- I've put myself on the record. Where, what do you think? I, I know you're not very familiar with with Star Trek, at least the TV shows. But between the, of the ones you've seen, how would you rate them? Yeah, to, to, to reestablish my credentials or lack thereof, I, I've seen every single Star Trek film thanks to my podcast, but I have not seen um, a, a whole ton of of Star Trek on television for the. TNG cast, I watched about 25 episodes, and for this DS9 cast, I watched about 15 episodes. And what I tried to do was, because I was aware that there was, especially in the later seasons, this huge overarching uh, plot, I did my best just to just sort of find the, uh, the the episodes that were more or less easy to follow without following that too closely. Although, frankly, I, I didn't find that I was having difficulty charting what was going on, even without the use of synopses, so... I guess that's the, the 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 plotting didn't seem too convoluted to me, uh, unless there was some stuff that I really missed out on. But I I have to say the the whole notion of DS Nine as the more consistent show, based on what I saw, I, th- I think is correct. I think it's it, it could be a, a classic case of doesn't necessarily have as high highs, but you know is just a, a a much more consistent viewing experience overall. In terms of the captains, I I have to side with Kate on this one. I I do think Picard's a little more interesting, and I think. That comes down to performance for me. Uh, Avery Brooks re is really hit and miss. Um, let me well, let me ask you guys something. Describe Picard as a person. What are his character traits? What are, what are what are his flaws? What are his strengths? Oh well, okay. So, as far as Picard's strengths, obviously, well, he's a diplomat uh, in his job. He's very measured. He's very intellectual, and he's very. Uh, loyal to his crew and also to his position his weaknesses he is he can be incredibly stubborn he uh, it can be somewhat detached he does not uh he does not establish emotional bonds and therefore has ended up in a distinguished position in starfleet but with very few friends and and very little a very uh separated connection with his family um he can lose sight of uh of some of the more human elements uh because he is more removed personally from his crew but also from the picture he sees the bigger picture sometimes and doesn't always see the individual elements of it would you but for me i mean a lot of what you're saying about picard the detachment the inability to make friends i i don't know that that's the character so much as as they just did not write him as a full human being um 
I mean, I feel like Patrick Stewart is the better actor of the two, Avery Brooks and, and Patrick Stewart. Um, but I just feel that Picard just is, and we shouldn't make this discussion about Deep Space Nine devolve into Picard versus uh, Cisco. Um, but I just feel like I just don't feel like they they put as much into the characters on TNG as being fully realized people as opposed to being sort of archetypes. Um, and I feel like the kind of detachment, the aloofness that you're talking about with, with Picard was a side effect of how he was written and not necessarily something that was really baked into the character. Does that make, does that make sense? Um, I mean, I would disagree about, um, I I would say that I do think feel like Picard is actually fairly well, well realized character, but I would give the credit to that, to the performance as opposed to the writing. Uh, I think that, Patrick Stewart really fills out the edges a lot, but on the whole, I absolutely agree with you. Um, they, it's really interesting, actually, if you look at original series and then TNG and then DS9, they're actually, though they're all Star Trek series, they're all very different in their approach, I think, because DS9 is far more about story and character and de- the detail of that, whereas uh, original series is more about over like big ideas with their social commentary and, and it's a, it's actually more of a like a Ray Bradbury or Heinlein style uh, approach to sci-fi. And then TNG is somewhere sort of in the middle where you get some through lines, you get data and his quest to become more human. You get, you know, some, some touches of that, but for the most part, like you said earlier, Jeff, it is very rinse and repeat. And, and, you know, you start at the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode, if you kind of jump around throughout the series, for the most part, you know, aside from Lucius of Borg, aside from some of Worf's uh, struggles uh, with his family and, and the Klingon Empire, for the most part, your character is going to be in roughly the same place, and that is one sort of viewing experience. But it's it's you know, if you're looking for character, if you're looking for more uh, a character to really latch onto, I think you're absolutely right that it's it's DS9. Um, one thing I'll say is I do think DS9 actually has a lot in common with the. Um, the early TNG, I mean, excuse me, not TNG films, the early original series films, namely two, three, and four, which focus very strongly on character on sort of like the big ideas that come in those three films really have to do with Kirk aging, you know, losing a friend, dealing with the kinds of things people deal with as they grow older. And I feel like, that kind of focus on character, but also throwing in action as well is sort of what what uh, DS9 did is did as well as those films, which is something that the TNG films tried to do and the TNG series did not try to do. Um, I, I just like sort of thinking about it, like I feel like DS9 in a lot of ways is the is the heir to those Trek films, those original Trek films, again, again two, three, and four. Like the rest, I don't think were as good, but I feel like the writers at DS9 were trying to impart that kind of approach to Trek. Um, that it was something that the writers that came after them on the other series and came before them on uh, TNG didn't necessarily do. But I do think what, what's in, what was impressive to me about DS9 is the way that it spins out this apparently very. You know, if you if you think about the the, the premise of you know we're we're setting this on a spa- on a stationary in, in a stationary location rather than boldly exploring exploring the universe, that kind of it, it sounds dull and it sounds like it contradicts everything that's interesting about Star Trek. 
But I think what, what what really impressed me is the way they spin that out into an epic story that is really detailed and in terms of its levels of political intrigue and you know different uh, different character stakes and things like that. And it's just playing with not just because it's longer, but it's just a, it's a more complex canvas than anything in any of the films that I've seen. Well, yeah, yeah I and, would agree. And when you don't have to spend a solid chunk of each episode introducing a new world, introducing a new culture then that gives you a lot more time to spend with your characters. And let's start talking about, about some of these characters. Uh, I, we, the first thing I'm going to just have to mention to make sure that we, that we get it in here is it's so wonderful to have strong, independent, intelligent, badass women. This DS9 is by far the, the, the best that women ever did, really, in Star Trek. Absolutely. Uh, you could argue for the Janeway 7 of 9 discussions that happen later in Voyager, which are the highlight of Voyager, which is a troubled series, to say the least. But when you have Dax, you have Kira, even later Esri Dax, uh, this time through, I was surprised. I was a much bigger fan of hers than I had been the first. The first time I watched the series when I was a kid, I was like, you're not real. Dax, you're different. I don't like you, um, and, which is, I'm sure, something that a lot of fans were dealing with, you know, at the time. But uh, all of their their female characters uh, are so much more complex and interesting, and in positions of authority and immediately respected in a way that just doesn't happen in other series. They're useful. They have purpose. Major Kira is a great example of that. I remember when I watched the original pilot. Again, I was a freshman in college. I was totally wowed by this character who was abrasive and, you know, spoke her mind and was not sort of the touchy-feely sort of maternal female character like you had on The Next Generation. She was really a, a real person, I mean, in terms of Star Trek, um, not in terms of other other, you know, other works or other television shows or other movies, but in the Star Trek universe so much more interesting than Dax being very complex, being sort of sexually adventurous, but not in a way that was uh, demeaning to the character. Um, I just, I watched some episodes today just to sort of like reacquaint myself with the show beforehand. And I watched trials and tribulations, uh, which is the, Oh, the we'll talk of, about that one. Yeah. Love. <laughs> That's like such a great, it's my, my wife watched it with me and she, uh, she was like this, this is probably the best hour of television ever. Like it's a great, it's a great hour of TV, but Dax, just the humor and the character in that episode, um, just sort of like, and the, the fact that she's both this young woman, but also like this old man at the same time, it just very interesting and not something they, they did with a female character after that show. And not really something I've seen any other show try to attempt since really. No, definitely not. Well, you've gotten senses of like one-off characters on TNG or another series like this before, but and that's actually something that because uh, I know Terry Farrell had been a model, she had limited acting experience uh, before she was on DS9, but that's something that I actually thought she did such a great job of embodying that duality, and I yes. like the way that, especially in the in the first couple seasons, it it takes a while for for Cisco to really figure out. You know, and her to sort of establish their relationship because it's weird. This was your drinking buddy, your wingman for years, right. your mentor. And now 
he's a really hot chick. Um, <laughs> and so I love that there's some awkwardness, that they're comfortable playing with that. But then, but at the same time, it's not, she's no way defined by her sexual, uh, her sexuality or her sexual orientation or any of that. It's, she's just a fully formed character. And when you talk about, if you talk about strong women, the, as soon as they bring Worf in, and and those, I mean, think about Worf being paired with Troy on TNG. Oh, okay. oh come on. <laughs> and then paired with Dax here. It's such a clearly such a better pairing and and they're such absolute equals it's it's just wonderful to see well and when you're talking about dax and sort of the 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 trick the trickiness of that character i think what really kept ds9 compelling for me even even if i was watching an episode that i wasn't as into i think what's fun about it is that nearly every in fact i would say every character is a misfit or an outcast either in the context of the ship or in the context of their race if you think Mm -hmm. of you know odo is for a while, anyway, the only one of his kind, and then when he isn't, it doesn't work out, you know, so neatly. Um, and uh, you think of Cork, who you know sort of has to balance being a, a, a schemer and um, and, a, and a profiteer with being sort of a member of the community. Uh, and you know, you and you know, you can Bashir go on and on. Bashir and and Garrick Bashir, and Bashir and his difficulty, you know, re, you know, reconciling being a doctor with being a uh, you know a, a soldier or some a man of action, as it were. <laughs> well, and his whole <laughs> genetically modified thing that we find out about him, which makes him a freak and technically illegal, <laughs> and yeah. all of that. No, they they really do flesh out all of these characters and make them really. Uh, they, they work. Everywhere. The reason that this the show works, I think, is because in some ways, because it's so not Star Trek like. It's something that Simon and I we were talking about a little earlier. Because uh, I know Simon, you're not a big fan of the Ferengi. I hope you've come around since I last talked to you. Because I'm I love uh, Quark and and Ram and Nog so much. But it's just so wonderful to have a couple characters around that aren't noble. <laughs> yeah, I, I have come around on the Ferengi. It's just, you know what it was, is is that I had just watched the episode where we first see the Jem'Hadar, and just the, they're just so shrill and useless in that episode. And it takes, like, it, it, it's a little after that when you spend a little bit more time with Quark and Nog, et cetera, et cetera. You, you get uh, more layers, and they actually contribute, which is great. Well, and when you talk about Quark, can we give some love to the fabulous Armin Shimmerman, who we, Simon and I both love as, uh, as uh, from Buffy, as from yeah, yeah. Snyder. Which yep. he was filming at the same time that he was filming this, so that's a pretty sweet resume right there. But um, yeah, that you're going to get geek paid for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any other? Because I think one of the characters we haven't mentioned, and the one who isn't a misfit, I would say, is is actually one of the most significant. And that's that's uh, Chief O'Brien. Of course, I enjoyed him on on TNG, but it's nice to have you know a normal guy too. He is a regular guy, but you know he has issues. Like he and his wife their relationship is really rocky throughout the series. Um, O'Brien, you know, has issues, you know, there's sort of like an underlying class issue too, where he's not an officer like everyone else. And um, that kind of plays into it a little bit at times, but then develops this interesting friendship with Bashir, this sort of like unlikely friendship, this unlikely pairing that really works. And the two actors have really great chemistry together. Um, I think, O'Brien is, you know, he's sort of like the, he's the everyman, the working class hero of Star Trek. And um, he was interesting on TNG, even as a background character. And they really made him incredibly uh, interesting and compelling on DS9. Well, and again, it's like you said, the the one marriage that they actually really show 
um, until, you know, the brief the time that we get with Worf and Dax married. But the one marriage that they consistently kind of show in the background is the O'Briens. And it's not, you know, there are constantly jokes about how his wife is mad at him and he's on the couch. And it's a struggling yeah. marriage. Like, it would be if you were out in the middle of the frontier, away from all your friends, away from all your family, trying to raise a kid. She can't do her job because there aren't, you know, she's not an opportunity to be a botanist out in the middle of nowhere. It, it's just, again, it's that touch of realism and attention to detail and character, a through line throughout the entire series. It's great. Well, I think um, just sort of stepping back one one step, I mean, I think the issue that we should probably talk about and discuss is the fact that Avery Brooks is the first African-American, you know, captain on Star Trek and, and the only regular African-American captain that has been on the series or on the in the in the franchise. Um, and how big of a deal, I mean, we were talking about the female characters, um, but it was also a huge deal back in 1994 or 1993, rather, when this debuted, that the captain of a Star, a Star Trek show was an African-American man. Um, I mean, that was a huge step forward. And there was there were a lot of people, fans of Star Trek who were very uncomfortable with that. And that ended up you know, resulting in many, many battles on old Usenet user groups <laughs> about about Cisco. But I, I mean, I think it's really important to note that, you know, at that time, you did not have a lot of African-American leads on big television franchises like Star Trek. Even and, now, you don't. Oh, definitely. You definitely do not. And, you know, it's something that happened, you know, start, I mean, the show has been over since 1999 and it's, it's not something we've seen really since. Um, and I mean, I think that also, I think it also speaks to sort of the relevance of DS nine and also the fact that they, they really were trying to be a socially conscious show in a way that Star Trek always said it would be, but hadn't really lived up to before. Well, and I had to imagine it was frustrating for the creatives on the show that it that it, it I mean it must have continued to be a problem for people even late in the show's run for them to make Far Beyond the Stars, which clearly oh, yeah. directly addresses that. It's a fantastic episode, um, but I think a lot of people were really uncomfortable whenever the issue of race was addressed in in DS Nine. Not I mean when I say people, not all people, but a certain subset of of the viewers, and I think that. I think part of sort of DS9's ballsiness when it came to, to Cisco, when it came to women, when it came to showing an African-American father and his son having a functional, normal relationship, a loving relationship, I think it, it led to DS9 having a different fan base from the regular Star Trek fan base. And I think that DS9 has always kind of stood apart because of that, um, because of how those characters were treated on the show. I think it attracted an audience that wasn't necessarily the core Star Trek audience. Well, and again, this is, I think I would agree. And again, this was sort of the, for a while there was the redheaded stepchild because of course the first three seasons were happening while TNG was finishing up its run. And of course, at least in my opinion, it has a really strong from season about three on. So like it ends, the end run of the show is really good of TNG. And then after TNG finished, Voyager started. And so there was always another Trek show that was more, in similar, you know, more similar in its premise and its setting to the original series. And so, and then you also had the creative uh, writers and producers on the show who many, many of whom had worked on TNG and had felt really constrained by the rules of 
people aren't greedy. People aren't it, humans don't have famine. There's no there's no money. There's no money. There's no you know they felt really constrained by that, and so they when you got to to, to DS9, they were able to really stretch their wings and, and to grab as much uh, as as much uh, you know a non trek you know conflict as as they could and it's something that actually i really enjoyed watching some special features uh listening to the the showrunners iris Stephen bear i think it was uh talking about yeah. how eventually the producers got tired of fighting with them and went over and focused on voyager instead and we, we all saw what happened there so it's a good thing they alone. did <laughs> yeah left them alone yeah. let them do their thing well what's interesting is i knew so many people who were tng fans who refused to watch Deep Space Nine because they said it was boring. It was just a bunch of people talking on a space station. And they watched Voyager. <laughs> Did they watch Next Generation? I'm just checking. <laughs> I don't I don't know because there was a lot of talking. There were a lot of subspace anomalies yes. on <laughs> TNG that required the cast to stay aboard the Enterprise. Um, and uh, I, I just I knew so many people who were like, yeah, I like Voyager because it's on a ship and I don't watch Deep Space Nine because it's boring. And that was, you know, you heard that all the time. And I think I think now people are, are giving DS9 its due more. But but still, like when Netflix brought Star Trek on board uh, for streaming, they had TOS, they had TNG, they had Voyager and they had Enterprise. Oh, Deep Space Enterprise? Nine. Deep Space Nine was not added for like six months after they started streaming it, and I just felt like, of course, of course, they did that. Can I just note? Can I just note the supreme irony of Star Trek fans complaining that Star Trek is boring? I mean, I know we, we I mean, I just as, a, as a, in a broader sense, it's like I feel like the whole series is premised on on the possibilities of of, of boring things. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, well, the budget kind of makes it so they have to they have to be boring at least two thirds of their episodes. Yeah. DS nine at least had interesting characters. So in the episodes where nothing exciting happened, you know, there was at least stuff happening internally in your characters, but the other shows, uh, particularly Voyager and enterprise did not have that, uh, did not have the characters to, to stand up on those episodes. Well, and that's what I think is, and perhaps that's that's why this disconnect in in, in Trek fans um, that that though I actually consider many of the uh, DS9 characters to be some of my favorites, almost none of them are are household names as far as you know. If you list really great sci-fi characters, people are not gonna come up with Odo or Garrick or you know, these other these other characters. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna say Worf, they're gonna say Picard, they're gonna say Bones, they're gonna say Spock, but they they don't go to DS, the DS9 characters, even though so many of them are so more fully realized. And I think that's because the audience was different. That I mean, like, I was a Trek fan, and there were other Trek fans that watched DS9, but um, but I think it, it, did, it did have a different audience. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up characters like Garrick. I mean, the other thing that DS9 did really well was it had great recurring characters who weren't part of the main cast, but were part of the tapestry of the show and were really important to the show. I mean, you had Garrick, you had Rom, you had Nog, you had Lita the Dabo girl. No. <laughs> um, you had Gold Dukat, you had Damar, you had Wayun, you had uh, the main change, the female changeling, you know, you had Martok. I mean, like I could rattle off even more characters. You had like Cisco's dad, you know, like there's so many recurring characters on that show who were interesting and and compelling in their own right. And they could even do episodes around those characters, which is not something you could say for 
a lot of other shows, not even, I mean, going past Star Trek, like there are a lot of other shows out there that, that don't have quite as a complex and interesting cast. I mean, like Game of Thrones is probably the only show that rivals DS9 in terms of a secondary cast that is, is just as interesting as the main cast. Having that that sort of, again, this goes back to the fact they're on a space station, so you can have that consistency. You can have those fringe characters filling out your world and making it feel that more, much more complete. And perhaps this is a great way to transition into some of the specific episodes, because if you want to talk about those side characters, you mentioned Nog. First of all, I think we're all, I mean, I, I would say, I'm kind of assuming you guys are on the same page with me on this, but I think we're all so glad that neither Jake or Nog became a Wesley. It was yes. so important for them to have, you know, for those two. If there was just one kid, I think we, it would have been Wesley's situation again, where you're trying to explain away why he's all only hanging out with adults. Um, but if you're trying to talk about Nog, I think you got to talk about the siege of AR, what, 552? Five, five, Eight. Yeah. Eight. Oh, and yeah. then, of course, uh, It's Only a Paper Moon, which is an episode about Nog and Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine. I wouldn't put Vic Fontaine in the category of great. Oh, I love characters. Vic. Um, Vic is a love or hate, love him or hate him kind of character, and but, I love but him. I love that episode though, uh, where Nog is dealing with the fact that he lost his leg in a previous episode, and he's dealing with PTSD. Basically, I mean, I, it's so funny to take him for being this sort of rapscallion, you know, sort of like very shady character to being like a Starfleet officer. It's an interesting arc. And I think, um, you know, even becoming a Starfleet officer doesn't mean that Nog's life is perfect because obviously he, he suffers through war in a way that some of the other characters don't. Well, and as I was watching the siege of AR five, five, eight, I was thinking of the implicit difference between, you know, original series or, or TNG and DS nine, which is where, you know, when you shift from, this utopian idea of there's no money and everyone is nice um, into something like this, where it's, it's clearly, you know, you're, you, you've got all, all of the characters at war and you have a, a seed situation where you've got people getting killed or injured left and right. And there are real stakes. Like you've just moved from two very different ideas of what sci-fi does. And uh, I, I think what kept me going, even in the bits of DS9 I found less compelling was that, that's a more interesting version of Star Trek to me. Well, I think it, it's more believable and it's more real. Like the DS nine world reflects the world we live in a lot more than the other Trek shows do. Yeah. Whereas the, the, I guess the Trek shows also try to reflect our world, but through, you know, th through other means that are less through parable, you know, yeah. they're, they're parables and sometimes they're really obvious parables and other times they're done really well. Yes. Um, but I just, I feel like the other Trek shows sort of represent this idealistic, optimistic view of the future of what our world could become. But DS9 represents the future that we most we, we're, we're more likely to have, you know, like where things are a lot messier. I mean, it's not as it's not as dark and ugly a world as the galactical world, but it's definitely, you know, a lot closer to that end of the spectrum than the sunny sort of TNG world where yeah. everything's perfect. And, and, and I think that their attempts to do TNG style episodes sometimes uh, result in sort of do you see-ness, as I like to call it, like uh, <laughs> particularly the episode crossover, which really didn't work for me. Um, I know some people apparently really liked that episode, but it felt it was so didactic. I was like, this is not the sort of thing you, you guys need to be doing. 
I think it's fun, but again, it's fun in that sort of, you know, because there's that connection to the, you know, the original Mirror Universe episode in TOS. And then that, for me, was going to transition us into Trials and Tribulations because I love this episode so very much. And I I have very little memory of the original Trial, uh, Trouble with Tribbles episode, but just the, this is just, it's love on the screen. It's love for the series, for the original series, everybody involved in the production, yeah, a lot of those people went into television production or special effects or any of that because of Star Trek. And so it's just, it's such a wonderfully, wonderfully done episode. And I mean, th- those visual effects, many of them are seamless now, 20 years later. And with yeah. this being the 50th anniversary year of Doctor Who, I was watching this with that context going, what if Doctor Who, a show that I absolutely love, did this for their did something like this for their I would be like my mind would have exploded with awesome. I actually think the visual effects are seamless. The only thing that's not seamless is the audio. Oh yes, I suppose. Yeah. It's 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 very obvious when they're switching from the older source to the newer. And in fact, I I sort of wish that they'd switch to crappier audio for the entire episode so that so that would blend. You'd know you wouldn't notice a difference unless you were watching a bunch of episodes. But if I were to if I were to lose the audio if I I. I much prefer the fact that when you have Julian and Miles lined up to be dressed down by Kirk, that they're right there in that line, you know, and that it looks real. Like it looks like they're, I mean, it's, it's amazing to think that this is a product of the 1990s and it looks so good. Like I, it just blows me away. A lot of other shows don't hold up as well with bigger budgets. Like they did such a fantastic job with that episode. You can also just go on YouTube and they have, uh, like, for example, the fight scene. You can watch um, uh, Paired Up from the original episode and then Trials and Tribulations. It's it's just amazing to watch. And so I'm glad that, Simon, it sounds like you enjoyed that episode as well. I wasn't sure if it would, you know, because since you don't have as much of that connection to Trek, I didn't know if if it would connect with you the same way, but it sounds like maybe it did. I I did enjoy it. Like, I I didn't get the necessarily the nostalgia love rush thing going on but i I definitely enjoyed it uh and not just on a technical level i love the part where the uh the temporal investigation guys are (laughs) talking to 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 cisco and he brings up kirk and they're like that man was a menace 17 violations and i love how that episode pokes fun at all the star trek time travel episodes which of course d space nine has done as well but um but which were really just sort of out of control in uh the next generation i i just I found like this episode works on so many on so many levels, and also you feel like a really great sense of affection not just for the original series but between the characters on the show on DS Nine like the main cast like they seem to be having so much fun together doing this, and it it really shows on scene, on screen like all the great scenes with Cisco and Dax where he has <laughs> to stop her from trying to meet people that she knew, you know, and where she's talking about, you know, she makes, she talked about, she, she knew uh, bones years before and he had the hands of a surgeon. And it, it just, I mean, it, I, the jokes hold up and, um, and you just, it's just, it's so much fun. And I, I don't see the crew of Voyager doing an episode that's that entertaining. Well, even just down to, I'm a doctor, not a historian. I mean, there every yeah. now and again they would the writers would throw in a line like that. There's actually a line like that in the Siege of AR five five eight, which is is somewhat uh, disconcerting. It, it's I can't decide if I like it in that episode because it so contrasts 
the seriousness and the, the darkness of that episode. Um, but I, so I was sort of not sure about that. I was talking to somebody on Twitter and they pointed out, well, yeah, but isn't it exactly for that reason? Isn't it a great line? But, uh, yeah, I love, whenever they pull those, those ones out of the hat, I, it always makes me a happy, a happy, uh, Trekkie. And then the other episode I wanted to make sure, cause we are, unfortunately we're already running out of time. The other episode I felt like we had to mention is the visitor. Oh yeah. The visitor is one of the most important hours of, of Star Trek television, I think. You know, I, I really like The Visitor, but I, I have to say, and I'm sure this has been debated endlessly, it did kind of feel like the inner light light to me. Okay. All right. I, well, I, it has been compared to the inner light before. That's that's true. Um, but I think the difference between the inner light and The Visitor is that the inner light, Picard's dealing with people that he meets on this planet who are not part of the main cast, but The Visitor, at its core, is about the relationship between Jake Sisko and Ben Sisko and the love that Jake feels for his father. And I feel like that elevates it above the inner light because even though Picard lived this whole life and had a family on this other world, like at the end of the day, it just hits the reset button. But the visitor shows, you know, like it shows just how much Jake and Sisko care about each other and love each other. And it shows their relationship in a really interesting and moving way. I, and I, I feel like it might just be because I love those characters so much that seeing them in this situation meant a lot to me, especially at the time when this originally aired. I was just blown away by it. I guess I, I couldn't help but notice how similar the episodes were in, in, not in, in so many ways. I mean, structurally, in terms of both of them having like a corny totem, you know, one has a, a flute, the other... flashback structure. And the, the flashback the... structure, the, the flute versus the baseball. Yeah. Um and I don't know, I, I, I guess at the end of the day, the inner light was just more of a gut punch for me at the end. Yeah, I uh, do think I prefer the inner light if I have to pick. But the thing is, we don't have to pick. <laughs> it's no, we wonderful. Um, and I, I got to say, I, I do. I enjoy Jake. I enjoy the performance and the character. And I was so glad that they kept him and everyone and everyone instead of a, a wunderkind. Um, but I, I hadn't really connected with that character the same way I did with, say, I really love the buddy buddy pairing of Quark and Odo, for example, right. or, you know, that kind of, I hadn't connected with him that same way, but man, if both Sarah Lofton and Tony Todd didn't just kill me. And when you add in the extra context of, and especially going back and watching it this time, already knowing how the series ends, that the show is going to end with, with uh, Cisco leaving his son behind to come back at some point, maybe, it yeah. adds that whole other gut punch to it. It's, it's... And the, I mean, the last shot of the series is is Jake looking out the window of Deep Space Nine and the camera pulls back. And it's the exact same shot as in The Visitor. Yeah, it's so amazing like they, that they tied it in. And, like, it ends, you know, like, most shows end and you feel real. I mean, like, they tr at least at the time when a show ended, they tried to celebrate the show and make you feel really good. But Deep Space Nine ends on this on such a sad note, you know, like Cassidy Yates is pregnant with Ben's child. Ben is gone. Jake is alone. You know, everyone's leaving. It's it's really quite sad. And it it, it shows, you know, just emotionally how different Deep Space Nine is, not just from other TNG. I mean, other Star Trek shows, but also from just other shows of the same era as well. I mean, now we have shows that are a lot more emotionally complex a lot more serialized, you know, everything from the new Doctor Who to The Walking Dead to Galactica to Lost, all these other big genre shows. 
But at the time, Deep Space Nine was really one of the only shows that tackled it in this, well, tackled the subject matter in this way. We are running out of time. Do you, do you guys have any uh, other episodes you want to mention or other uh, final thoughts about the series? Uh, Jeff? Well, I, I, it's hard for me to be objective about Deep Space Nine because I have such an unconditional love for the show. I mean, I really, the show came on, like, the first episode really spoke to me because my father had cancer and was dying of cancer during that episode. And so, like, the, the subject of grief really, like, was affecting me at the time. And so I think that it, that kind of experience has colored my view of Deep Space Nine in a way that it is really difficult for me to be objective about it. I do really love the show. The characters mean a lot to me even today. And I think that although some of it doesn't hold up as well, I, I think overall, going back and watching it, it does hold up a lot better than other shows in the 90s. Um, and I think that if you haven't seen it, that I definitely recommend it. If you have an interest in Star Trek or an interest in seeing where genre fiction has come from and where, you know, one of the starting points was for serialized, you know, story arcs, I think Deep Space Nine is the place to go. Um, in terms of episodes, you know, there's so many great episodes on the show, it's, it's hard to, to name a few, but we've already mentioned The Visitor, we've mentioned Trials and Tribulations, those are two really great shows, but also... Um, I'd, I'd probably throw in uh, Far Beyond the Stars, which we also mentioned before. Um, and then I'm trying to think. There, um, I can't remember the name of them off the top of my head. There's two time travel episodes that are sort of a throwback to uh, City on the Edge of Forever, but also deal with time travel and social issues in their own way. Those are really good. Um, I just there's so there's an episode called The Quickening where Bashir finds a disease he can't cure. Um, so, so much, so much stuff. It's, it's a great show. Um, one final, one final note. Uh, I will say, I remember watching the Jim Hadar, which was the first episode with the Dominion really, where they really appeared, where at the end of the episode, a galaxy class starship is destroyed. And that, that just showed me that D space nine was really willing to take a lot of big risks if they would blow up a galaxy class starship, like the enterprise. Absolutely. One of the things we haven't even mentioned is giant space battles. And somebody who yeah. enjoys sci-fi series and enjoys uh, spaceships and everything, there's some ridiculous, ridiculous space battles towards the end of the series. And and we didn't even also didn't even mention the Defiant, which is such a completely sweet ship as well. So yeah, they yeah. there are stakes to this series that it often feels like the others. Don't don't have Simon. Do you have any final thoughts or episodes or characters or? Uh, I wanted to highlight Garrick because I know he's only in about uh, a fifth of the show, but in all the episodes that he turned up in that I watched, he was just a delight. He's awesome. I, I think he's probably my favorite single character. Yeah, he's actually one of my favorites as well. And I want I was going to actually specifically uh, mention him again as one of my favorites. That the actor is uh, Andrew J. Robinson, and he gives a really great performance. As Garrick, any other uh, notes from you? Episodes stand out or less fun? I think. Well, yeah, I've I've already mentioned some of the more didactic ones didn't work so well for me, but all the all the episodes I already mentioned. I also really liked uh, in the pale moonlight, which I know Kate, you're not a. I know Kate, you're not huge on that one. <laughs> I like that one. I just, um, I I'm not. I wasn't a big fan of the of the structure of it because it seemed really obvious to me where it was headed. 
But um, I suppose in first airing, that probably wasn't a problem for people. Uh, I would also, we already mentioned Garrick. I wanted to mention the prosthetics and give, you know, we already gave some, some love to Armin Shimmerin, but let's also throw a little love to Rene Auberginois because the acting that, that the two of them are able, the subtlety of emotion that they're able to portray through layers and layers of of, of plastic and prosthetics is yeah. ridiculous. Not to mention just going through the process of putting on those damn prosthetics at least seven, two hours seven years. every day and an hour to take it off every day and 12 hour shoots at, on the light day. Just ridiculous. So yeah, I definitely wanted to mention that. I uh, wanted to mention the theme music, which I, uh, I very yeah. much love. I, Star Trek, uh, except for the enterprise theme, both of them, which don't exist as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> has actually a really great uh, track record with, with their theme music. And I wanted to, to mention that it was composed by Dennis McCarthy and has you know it really fits with the, the show. Um, also, I wanted to mention as far as episodes, um, and just right, we could talk about DS9 for another hour and not mention everything, but um, I wanted to, to mention Civil Defense, which is this great little standalone episode where the, the station tries to kill them because there are still booby traps left from when it was a Cardassian station. Yeah. Those kind of details, even just down to the fact that all the controls were designed by Cardassians, so they, it has a very different look to all the consoles than the other Trek series, I think is a really nice yeah. detail, something that I very much enjoy. And uh, I got to say, the I already mentioned the Siege of AR-558, but not only is Quark really great in that, but... The the way that they managed to convey stakes in 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 also that whole stretch of episodes after that when the Dominion takes the station I remember watching that when I was a little kid this show premiered when I was eight wow. and there are certain things that I remember specifically watching I specifically remember watching Odo change to a hawk and fly and fly yeah. around and try to get chase you know try to get them to catch him and there and and I also specifically remember Wayun. Taking, you know, standing on the bridge or the command, you know, the center of the, the station. And yeah, there's some really effective, effective moments in this show. It's definitely one to, to watch. It's definitely one to start at the beginning and just sort of live with and enjoy. Unlike TNG, you don't need to skip the first X number of episodes. If you realize you don't like the Ferengi, skip the Ferengi episodes. There's some th ones like that. But in general, I think you, I think this is a show worthy of a full rewatch. Yeah, well, I, I would agree. And uh I would say, though, if you want to skip Move Along Home, don't feel bad about it. That episode's not very good. I, oh, I, I wish I'd I had like time. that one. It has games. <laughs> I, I, whenever we do anything Star Trek, I always wish I had more time so that I could watch the worst episodes as well, because I feel like badness is just a part of Star Trek. <laughs> if Wishes Were Horses, that's another bad one to watch. Yeah, I also like that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, all even the weaker ones in the earlier seasons, because I really feel like they... The actors really had a sense of their characters from very early on and uh, and really in, imbued them with a lot of the traits that they would come to, you know, that that if you just jumped in later, you would assume that it took them a while to figure out. No, Odo was Odo from the first episode. Kira was Kira from the first episode. And it's just it's very well constructed. But we should we should wrap up because we've been taking so much of your time, Jeff, as well as our listeners. Um, uh, thank you again for coming on the show. Where can our listeners find you online? Well, you can find my podcast at televisionzombies.com. We're on iTunes, and um, I'm sure you can find us in Stitcher and other services as well. Um, we do a weekly podcast about genre television, and lately we've been talking about The Walking Dead and The Americans. So if you're interested in those two shows, we talk about them quite a bit. 
Good times. Well, thank you again for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thanks for having me.